0: Welcome to Married to Politics. This podcast focuses on political topics that you accidentally end up discussing with someone way more knowledgeable than you. Except here, I save you the trouble by discussing politics accidentally on purpose. I'm Sarah Goggins, here with my husband, Derek Santola, who is the true political expert. Not unlike most mornings in our house, each episode, Derek surprises me with a key political issue that he is over-prepared to discuss, while I ask hard-hitting and often awkward questions until I either understand or tire him out on the topic. So Derek, what are we talking about today?
1: Today I want to discuss presidential transitions.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: So as you're probably aware, on November 3rd, Tuesday of last week, there was a presidential election in this country.
0: It rings a bell.
1: Donald Trump, who is the incumbent president, was up for re-election against Joe Biden. Now, by all accounts, the media, specifically the Associated Press, Fox News, CNN, and others have declared that Joe Biden is the presumptive president, meaning that he's gone from Vice President Joe Biden to President-elect.
0: Yes. The Biden administration is a foregone conclusion. So what does that mean between, what is it, 70-odd days at this point?
1: So- it's not necessarily a foregone conclusion that Joe Biden will be the president. Why? Well, specifically, Donald Trump has lodged numerous lawsuits alleging voter fraud and impropriety.
0: But he's lost on all of those. So what is, what can that those are just distractions in political theater. I don't that's a waste of my brain space. What is Joe Biden? and Kamala Harris, what are they doing between now and Inauguration Day?
1: So assuming that all of the Trump lawsuits are unfounded and we don't have a reprisal of a Bush v. Gore scenario like we did in 2000, and assuming that President-Elect Biden will be the president come Inauguration Day. Yeah, he will. There's a whole process that has to go into play.
0: Okay, that's the juicy stuff, tell me about it.
1: Now, the first thing I wanna talk to you about is actually the timing of this process. So, as we know, under the Constitution, the presidential election occurs on the first Tuesday in November. However, legally, inauguration has moved around a couple different times. So, historically, going all the way back to the transition between George Washington to John Adams, the first president, to the second, inauguration day used to be on March the 4th. Wow. Yeah, currently, it's January 20th. So this March 4th date actually caused several issues because at the time there was a four-month lag between Election Day and Inauguration Day. Two specific examples, the first one being in 1861, Abraham Lincoln, you may have heard of him, Honest Abe, was elected and he had to wait to deal with the succession of seven states in the South for four months. Fast forward the clock to 1933, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt was elected However, he had to wait those same four months to deal with the Great Depression. And it wasn't until the 20th Amendment to the Constitution was passed in 1933 that we moved Inauguration Day from March the 4th to January 20th. Interestingly, some of the presidents have actually played around with that four-month time period. Woodrow Wilson, who was the president at the turn of the 20th century, had an unusual plan to make um, his opponent take over as president. So at the time, Wilson planned to appoint Republican Charles Evan Hughes as the Secretary of State, which at the time was direct in line for secession after the Vice President. So Wilson's plan, in effect, would be that he and his Vice President would resign the day after Election Day had they lost, and Evans, as Secretary of State, would immediately take over as the President. However, that plan never was needed because Hughes lost to Wilson. It just goes to show you that certain presidents have gotten creative to try to avoid that March 4th timeline. But none of that really matters at this point because the 20th Amendment, which again was passed in 1933, moved that start date up to January 20th and reduced the lag time between Election Day and Inauguration Day to about, uh, lost about six weeks.
0: But by all accounts, because this was a constitutional amendment, that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, I think there was consensus that there needed to be a shorter amount of time in between when the election occurred and when a new president took over.
0: Yeah, because it seems like ruckus was just galore in those four months.
1: Right. There are obviously several opportunities for, for things to go sideways. As you move the clock forward, statute actually came into force to ensure that there was a codification of this presidential transition program. So the Presidential Transition Act of 1963, which has been amended several times, most recently in 2015, establishes the current mechanism, which facilitates an orderly, peaceful transition of power. So it allows uh, a couple different things to happen. So specifically, after each major party, currently Democrats and Republicans, appoint their nominee, so for us, we had Donald Trump and Joe Biden, that nominee is entitled to receive classified national security briefings once the nomination is formalized. Interesting. Yeah. So, the, like, according to CBS, Joe Biden had been receiving briefings from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, or ODNI, since mid-September. Currently, though, he's, not, he's no longer receiving those intelligence briefings.
0: So he, was, he had more access as a candidate than as literally the president-elect.
1: Right. And that's specifically because of the other part of the act that he hasn't been declared or uh, certified as the presumptive winner.
0: So to paraphrase Britney Spears here, he's not a candidate, not yet a president.
1: I'm going to take your word for it. I'm not familiar <laughs> with Britney Spears. So that, will, that brings up a very important, although routinely overlooked, um, organization within the federal government, which is the General Services Administration, or GSA.
0: Okay, this I know only by... Twitter outrage because Emily Murphy is her name? That's right. She is doing something, or lack of doing, not doing something, that's keeping the Biden administration from working on the transition.
1: Yeah, so specifically okay. by that statute that it referenced, the Presidential Transitions Act, the GSA administrator, who's a political appointee by the president,
0: So Emily Murphy is a Trump appointee.
1: Emily Murphy is a Trump appointee. Okay. And she, by statute, is granted the power to uh, ascertain or issue an ascertainment letter which declares the apparent winner. As of November 10th, she hasn't done this. And again, that goes back to my point at the beginning of our conversation that with the Trump administration lodging complaint after complaint about election fraud— In addition to the fact that many states, the margins are so narrow that they're recounting votes. Just today, Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, stated that they were going to be doing a manual hand count of every single ballot within the state to ensure that legally cast ballots were all counted but and the margin, could certify the results.
0: the margins aren't that narrow. When we talk Bush v. Gore, we're talking, what, 500-odd votes versus—and that was one state? It was what
1: 537 are votes within Florida.
0: And that's one state less than 1,000 votes. We're talking five states, and Biden has ten, has tens of thousands of lead, votes worth of leads in those states. I don't understand the comparison.
1: Regardless of where you come down on the topic, by statute, the GSA administrator has the power to make that ascertainment. She's entitled to do that.
0: But here's my question, okay, fair. Does her certifying this transition hurt President Trump's court cases?
1: Her position as a political appointee in a Trump administration, I think, lends credence to the idea that the Trump administration is admitting defeat. If she issues this ascertainment letter, what it does is it releases $10 million in transition funds to the winner, the so-called keys to the executive branch. Now, certain statements have been made um, by Senator Marco Rubio, a ardent Trump ally, that allowing the ascertainment to go through and the money to be issued to the Biden administration wouldn't detract from Trump's lawsuits and his claims of fraud and mismanagement electoral process. So we're kind of in a a legal gray area, but under the statute that I cited, it would kick in the transition process. Another thing that the statute does is that um, it requires the GSA to issue a revised version of the U.S. government policy and supporting positions, which is also known as the Plum Book. The Plum Book lists over nine thousand federal civil service leadership and support political appointment positions, which an incoming administration would need to review of those position, positions and fill or confirm them through the Senate.
0: That feels like PDF hell. I take your point, but I, I guess is the concern that once the ascertainment letter is signed, you can't put the toothpaste back in the bottle. That that it's just full steam ahead at that point.
1: I think under the norms, so we're talking about what the law requires versus the norms of prior presidents, and under the norms, which I'll get into in just a moment, that issuance of an ascertainment letter would trigger that the nation is moving on.
0: Well, I guess even before the norms, my main question is, okay, so what? What are the, are there negative implications for not having a transition team hit the ground running? What? Does that mean for America? What does that mean for your everyday citizen? Yes,
1: yeah, so I'm glad you asked that question. So,
0: I'm glad I asked it too, Derek.
1: If we go back to early American history, transitions actually had no advanced planning or even cooperation from the outgoing president.
0: How early American history are we talking?
1: Going back to just even to the um, FDR and Truman era, there wasn't truly a, uh, a presidential transition, so I'm gonna go through a couple of. Um
0: but didn't FDR have to wait the four months?
1: That's right, but his um, the prior president. There was no formal transition like we've established now. That didn't come into play until the 60s through that statute. He
0: was just straight up chilling for those four months, kind of stuck in limbo. There wasn't actual, like, planning and transition work being done.
1: That's right. Like I said at the top Ah. of the show, we had to wait to attack the Great Depression. He had to wait those four months. Don't pretend
0: I remember what you said at the top of the show. I hope the
1: listeners were paying attention. Who's to say? So some of the better transitions that we've experienced in this country actually started with President Harry S. Truman, who succeeded FDR. Sure. He lost in the 1950s to President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Now, Truman could have taken it and decided to not work with Eisenhower because, again, we didn't quite have that transition statute in place. But instead, he invited Eisenhower to the White House. The two met together, and there was close coordination between the Truman administration and the Eisenhower administration Because of orders that Truman had issued to his federal agencies. Again, between the Eisenhower and the John F. Kennedy administration, there was again close coordination, although this time there was no meeting between Eisenhower and JFK until January 6th, 1961, which was two months after the 1960 election.
0: Yeah, and 14 days before inauguration?
1: So... Although the two presidents didn't meet with each other specifically, their agencies were in close coordination. Okay. So it it created a somewhat seamless takeoff for Kennedy. Now, the modern gold standard of transitions comes from the George W. Bush administration to the Barack Obama administration. During that transition, Bush granted Obama's request to ask Congress to release $350 billion of bank bailout funds Because again, at the end of 2008, that was the beginning of the financial crisis. So already a Republican administration and a Democratic administration were working together to combat a universal issue. Now, Obama praised Bush during his inaugural address as reason to follow that close coordination. And what was incredibly impressive was the White House's website, was redesigned and cut over at exactly 12:01 on January 20th, 2009 because under the, the uh, 20th amendment, the president takes over on, on noon on January 20th. So 1 minute later, everything changed from a Bush White House website to Obama. I
0: website. mean, but I think those are tech heroes. More so, I mean, who do we who do we think for that? Who are the real unsung heroes of that? Let's do some dig in on that and give them some praise because there's some tech nerds out there. Not all heroes wear cape. Maybe they they worked for Apple Bar before then. I don't know, <laughs> but that I don't feel like we can credit that. Like Obama nor Bush know how to make a website.
1: I think it was just a clear example of the testament of the close coordination between the two administrations that they were able to yeah pull something yeah like yeah that yeah
0: off. sure no I get that so but unsung heroes, Derek.
1: Those unsung heroes did get their praise because all of the emails and data from the Bush administration's eight years in office was transferred to the National Archives by 2012. You can actually go to their website right now. I'm not going to that. that information. I'm
0: not going to do that. I'm going to trust that you did that. Did you do that?
1: I did. Okay, and I verified that. So interestingly, and I'll provide that into the show notes for our listeners. So i just provide to you some examples of smooth transition efforts. Now I'm going to call these next transitions notable. Maybe not a complete car crash, but definitely at least a fender bender. So the first one that we're going to delve into is the 1861 transition from James Buchanan to Abraham Lincoln.
0: Mm. So as knew I knew may- you were going to go there. I didn't.
1: <laughs> so as you may remember in 1860, with the election of Lincoln to the presidency, seven states seceded from the Union and created the Confederacy. Now, at the time of the 1860 election, Buchanan was president, and he believed that the states did not have the right to secede, but he also thought it was illegal for the federal government to go to war to stop them. So That's
0: a real catch-22 now, isn't it?
1: Exactly. So by the time Lincoln took office in, again, March 4th of 1861, within one month, April early April of 1861, the United States was in the midst of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely an example of a slow transition causing problems.
0: Okay, but are there more modern examples of a concern here? Because, great example.
1: You're not going to let me get into the Ulysses S. Grant Rutherford B. Hayes transition of
0: 1876? Ugh. I mean, I'd prefer more, uh, If there is that the most recent? It's
1: not. For the listeners, I'll drop a quick bio about that transition into the show notes. You want to talk more modern, let's go to what? everybody now is referring to the precedent that was set the current gsa administrator is saying that she's deferring her ascertainment because she wants to be in line with the clinton precedent that was set in 2000 so in 2000 you may remember that george w bush was running against then vice president al gore for the presidency and it came down to 537 votes in florida To be recounted and went all the way to the supreme court in the seminal case bush v gore because of that decision of the supreme court bush was declared president-elect so there was already a slowed start point and the bush administration didn't hit the ground running until about december 13th of 2000
0: and that's when the court case was settled
1: that was when the court case was settled they were told to stop the recount in florida And Bush became president-elect.
0: And then GSA signed this ascertainment letter. That's right. So that is what Emily and GSA is banking on. Like, nope, this is precedent.
1: That's what Emily Murphy is waiting on. There needs to be a clear identification of who the president elect is. And that's the that's what when she says I'm referring to the Clinton precedent. That's what she's referring to. But there's even more maliciousness going on. So based off of reports, during that transition, the Clinton administration was marred by accusations of damage, theft, vandalism, and what they're referring to as pranks pulled within the White House. What was specifically of note was Bush's then press secretary noted that all of the office keyboards had the W key removed from them.
0: That seems so petty. I mean, don't get me wrong, that is hilarious in a work setting, but we're talking about leading the free world.
1: Well, to be bipartisan, there were similar allegations of the transition from George H.W. Bush's administration, again, another one-term president, to the Clinton administration. So maybe it was just payback, maybe it was pure maliciousness, Regardless, the Clinton family, who denied the accusations by their way, agreed to pay more than $85,000 for allegedly stolen gifts which were given to the first family in order to eliminate even the appearance of impropriety.
0: Did they give them the W's back? Did everyone get new keyboards? Was this an inside conspiracy to get new tech? Because I feel like every person in corporate can relate to wanting new updated technology. So maybe this was an inside job to get updated tech because if, if the private sector isn't great, government keyboards have to be made of wood.
1: Bill Gates definitely probably had a uh, very interesting opportunity to supply the, supply the government with brand new laptops. So this just goes to show that transitions outside of even the legal realm can be marred by all sorts of crazy things. Focusing specifically on the current transition. So as I said before at the top of the show, Trump claims victory in a late-night speech on Election Day, November 3rd. His declaration of victory has been widely disregarded. However, Trump has also demanded that all further vote counting to either cease in certain states or to continue. Yeah,
0: depending on where he's winning and where he's losing. I'm not as worried about the lawsuits as I am about what the genuine issues with this transition, keyboard jokes aside, what other concerns should this cause for the American people that President-elect Joe Biden may be forced to be behind the eight ball on? Have there been any other issues of negative consequences of this?
1: Yeah, so going back to that 2000-2001 transition... During the 9-11 Commission, which was an intergovernmental commission to collect facts and determine the cause for the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, they specifically pointed to that slow transition of the Bush administration getting on board, leading to breakdowns in intelligence and leading to it causing the national security threat and the success of the terrorist attacks against the country.
0: That's mortifying that keyboard jokes aside, that is even just the hint of that maybe even possibly being any percent true should be enough for anyone who loves this country to find a way for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to have the intel needed on the off chance Trump's legal claims are wrong. Like why risk that? Why not just cover your bases? And it seems like he was getting this when he was just a candidate.
1: Right. So I think pointing to the Rubio statements that maybe we should allow these intelligence reports to be given back to Biden, and that's specifically what Biden's spokesperson, Jen Psaki, has been going and saying is that, we need the keys to the federal government in order to ensure continuity and national security. What's, Tell him, Jen. What's What's fortunate for the Biden administration is that he was the vice president within this past decade. I mean, the Biden team, which is largely going to be comprised of former Obama officials.
0: Well, that's an assumption. We don't know.
1: All the All the reporting is that it's likely going to be filled with a lot of former Obama alumni. They know their way around the federal government. It's not that they don't know how to run the government, it's that it's specifically those intelligence briefings that you're discussing. In order for a continuity of government to be ensured, it's imperative that regardless of the outcome of the election, whether it actually be Joe Biden or whether there be a Trump 2, like Secretary of State Mike Pompeo Mm -hmm. joked in recent statements, it's important that both men are fully briefed to the extent possible on all security threats. Now, while this is all going on, it's important to go back and remember that there's still an electoral college process that's going on. So while the media networks have declared that Joe Biden is the winner, those are all projections. There's still several important steps that need to occur.
0: Hit me with those steps.
1: So the first thing that needs to happen is that states are going to certify their election results. So what's been going on since election day is states are counting their votes and then they'll have to go through a process called canvassing, where they count every single vote and ensure that every vote is properly recorded and any votes that were improperly recorded are thrown out. Now, what's interesting is that between this time period, states are able to set their own benchmarks as far as when that certification may occur. With the last day for states Uh, being able to resolve any election disputes is december 8th okay so so that's an important date because within the following week by december 14th that's when the electors come together to cast their ballots
0: okay so we should have an answer to all of this second week of december potentially Mm, i feel like you're burying the lead
1: After the electors get together, and for those of you that are wondering what's an elector, when you're voting, you're actually casting your ballot for your state's appointed representatives to show up and cast their ballots for the presidency in the Electoral College. Now, electors send certificates of their votes to various officials, including the current vice president who serves as the president of the Senate, which is important because on December 23rd, The president of the Senate receives all electoral vote certificates. And then by January 6th, Congress, which is going to go back into effect starting January 3rd, Congress will then count the electoral votes. Now, this happens when the House and Senate convene for a joint session to count those votes. Vice President Mike Pence will preside over the process as president of the Senate and then will announce the results. The candidate that receives at least 270 out of the 538 electoral votes becomes the next president. Now, here's where things can go sideways. Any objections to electoral votes must be submitted in writing and signed by at least one House and one Senate member. If an objection arises, the two chambers consider the objection separately. So there is still an avenue in which President Trump could get an objection in his favor, and we could go into a constitutional crisis. Now this is this never is so
0: embarrassing.
1: The good news is this has never happened before in the entire history of the Republic.
0: But I feel like the bad news is we've been saying that sentence every day for the last four years and then it subsequently happens. So bring this home for me. why why should Emily sign the dang letter and we should all go to sleep resting easy-ish?
1: So clearly we have a divided country, but the good news is, is that no matter who prevails on January 20th at noon, we will have a president and vice president sworn into office and officially there will be a new president and vice president, whether it's Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, or it's still Donald Trump and Mike Pence on January 20th. That's when you can go and rest your head easily knowing who the president is. And vice president of the United States. Is.
0: No, not if it's the lat, the, no, not if, if it's stolen from the rightful people. I reject that bipartisan analysis and thank you for your time. <laughs> I appreciate what you're trying to do here. I reject it. And thank you. That is all.
1: Thank you. And for the listeners at home, I'll be dropping all of the references into the show notes. I hope you sleep easy. Please try and get some rest. Know that people are working on this. and Not
0: us, but people smarter than us. Right,
1: definitely. Definitely.
0: Maybe not smarter than us. Honestly, who's to say? But people are.
1: I think we'll wrap the show there. Thanks for listening, y'all.